we started talking a couple weeks ago, our, our theme this year is roots, getting back to our roots, reminding ourselves of what our roots are as followers of Christ. The teachings that Jesus gave to us, the basic teachings, because I believe that over the last couple years since we've been in this worldwide craziness, the church has kind of wandered a little bit from what our true calling as the church of Christ is supposed to be. And we've seen the church get off into areas that we really shouldn't be involved in. We've seen the church kind of water down the gospel, water down belief systems, all to be acceptable, all to not, let me be honest with you, some of, uh, some of what is going on in the church worldwide is so that people don't get attacked they don't want to cause waves. They just want to be able to exist. So for whatever reason, we find ourselves where we're at. We find ourselves in a place where I think we've, <clears throat> I think, I'm not now, when I say the church, I'm not talking about new life. I'm talking about the church, uh, worldwide, universal, whatever you want to call it. I think we find ourselves in a place where we've kind of lost our identity. I think it's important as we come out of this and we start to open back up, as we start to, uh, people start feeling more comfortable with being in a setting like this and we have more opportunities to speak to people, it's important that we represent exactly what it is that we are supposed to believe and what we're supposed to teach. And that's why we're in this series called Roots. And we started uh, our series uh, in Matthew chapter five. We're gonna be going through the Sermon on the Mount. Now, we're not going to be tearing it apart because you could do that for about five years, bit by bit. We're going to be going through some of the great teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And I hope that it's been beneficial to you as already. And I hope that as we continue to go through it, it will be something that is uh, pertinent to your life and practical for your walk with Christ. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read verses 3 through 11. If you'd stand with me as we read God's word this morning. <clears throat> Jesus speaking and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are the, those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those of you who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Thank you. You may be seated. <laughs> now, the first series that we're in in this theme of Roots is the Beatitudes. We're going to be talking about the Beatitudes for the next couple months. And that's what we just read, the Beatitudes. Remember last week, if you were here, Beatitude comes from the uh, word beatus, and it means to be blessed. And the word in Greek for blessed means to be happy, means to be extremely happy. So what Jesus is saying here in these Beatitudes is happy are the ones who can say this about their lives. Now, <clears throat> there are eight Beatitudes in total. And I believe that these Beatitudes are foundational to our Christian walk. And as we pointed out last week, I want to remind you again, the, this, the Sermon on the Mount was not preached for everybody. Although today, 
people take the Sermon on the Mount, they take bits and pieces to try to uh, justify things, or they use it to try to uh, deal with parts of society. The Sermon on the Mount wasn't preached to the world. It wasn't preached to the lost. It wasn't an evangelical message. The Sermon on the Mount was a message to Jesus' disciples. In fact, if you read verses 1 and 2, you'll see that when Jesus went up on the mountain, the disciples, the crowd gathered around, but then the disciples came to Jesus and he spoke to them. And this is foundational for our walk with Christ. These are foundational truths that need to be true about you as a follower of Christ. These are things that we need to reflect as a follower of Jesus Christ. They all start with the statement, happy are, and it's easy to misunderstand, especially if we use the term blessed, it's easy to misunderstand that Jesus is trying to say to here, say to us here that you are supremely blessed, you're well off, if this can be said of you in your life. <clears throat> the Beatitudes, there's eight of them, they're, divi they're divided into two different sets, and this is all just review from last week. The first four define a healthy relationship with God. Last week we talked about the poor in spirit. We said happier the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit represents those who understand they have a great need. We have a great need for Jesus. We talked about that last week. The second one that we talk about today is happier those who mourn, those who have a great brokenness in their life and understand they have a great brokenness. Third one is happier those who are humble or meek, and it's the importance of great submission. That'll be good for talk around the table or uh, with the husband and wife when you sit and talk about submission, but we'll move on to something else. Fourth one is happier those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. People have a great and great and passionate desire for truth. The second four, the second group of four, define a healthy relationship with and towards others. Happier the merciful show, means that those, happier those that show great compassion to others. The pure in heart are happier those who have great honesty with God and with others. The peacemakers are those who have great response because it builds bridges and not walls. And the persecuted are great, those who have great endurance because they don't quit. Now, last week, as I said, we talked about the poor in spirit, those who recognize their great need of God. We follow that up today with those who mourn, those who realize their great brokenness in life and their inability to put themselves back together. Remember, these, these first four are about us and our relationship with God how we see ourselves, and actually how we are seen in the sight of God. Now, it's very popular today in society to get involved in self-help groups, to hire a life coach, to have things that can help you get yourself together. And all that is, is humanity's desire to try to find a way to fill the emptiness inside, to try to fix what is broken inside. Yet Jesus says to us, you will be happy, you will be truly and supremely happy in your life if you realize that yes, you are broken, but I'm the only one that can fix you. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. These two characteristics of a follower of Jesus work together to form our character and set our productive, fruitful growth for God's kingdom in motion. While Jesus was referring to our great need when he said that we are happy because we are poor in spirit, in the next statement he tells us that we should be happy because we mourn. 
That kind of seems like two different ends of the spectrum, doesn't it? And really, quite honestly, I, let's, <laughs> let's just be real honest. I've never been happy when I've mourned before. It's not a happy time. It's not a happy time in my life when I lose somebody or when I have friends who lose family. We, over the last two years, many of us have lost friends and family due to the pandemic. And it's never a good time. So when Jesus, the creator of the world, the savior of the world says to me, you should be happy when you mourn, that makes me stop and think and ask myself, what is it that he, what is it that he knows that I don't? What is it that he's trying to say to me that I truly need to understand? Why should we be happy? As I've said, because of our great brokenness. And it must have been an odd statement for his disciples to hear in the process. It's kind of, I don't know if it really qualifies as an oxymoron, but I'll be happy because I'm sad. Just doesn't really kind of make much sense. So Jesus claimed that we can be extremely happy because we mourn. <laughs> Well, that could be a difficult pill to swallow. And I think many times, this is not one that, you know, people talk about, uh, people will pick out the peacemakers, right? People will pick out uh, the meek because the meek will inherit the earth. But these two, poor in spirit, and those who mourn, you don't walk around, people, <laughs> people aren't saying, oh yes, you know, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, because it, we don't say that. Those kind of ones that people want to skip over. But these two work together to define our character and to bring us to a place where we are fully and finally understanding who we are in God's sight and where we need to be if we truly desire to be used by him. Listen, you can go along and you can serve and you can minister and you can be the East Coast distributor of involved in your church. But if you're doing it for yourself, if you're doing it to show others how great you are, if you're doing it to impress others, if you're doing it because it's your religious duty, if you're doing it just to make yourself feel good about yourself, then you're doing it for the wrong motivation. Jesus says, come to me and I will heal you. I'll give you rest and I will then use you in the capacity that I have gifted you to be used in. I'll use you in the way I know how to use you. When you finally realize that where you are in yourself is totally insufficient in order to be able to be used properly for the kingdom of God. Now, I'll define the word mourn for you, but I think we all understand that to mourn means to experience deep grief. Perhaps the better question to ask that might open up the conversation in this is, what is it that we mourn that will bring us great happiness? What is it that we mourn that will bring us great happiness? You know, as parents, one of the great, one of the things that we desire least <laughs> is to lose a child, right? And it, it's said that uh, no parent should ever no child should ever die before the parent because it's very difficult. Some of you have perhaps gone through that. <clears throat> My parents lost a, a son younger than me. And uh, it's funny, as I've gotten older, 
And I really started to think about that. I'm excited to get to heaven to meet my brother that I've never met. But it's still something difficult to go through life understanding and, and carrying that burden. So I think it's important to understand exactly what Jesus is talking about when he says that we should be happy and we're incredibly fortunate when we mourn. <clears throat> I think it's important and proper to ask how should we mourn? And what effect should our mourning have on our own lives? What areas should it change and what areas should it strengthen? I believe that what Jesus is challenging us to do with this particular teaching is this. Grieve and mourn over the fact that you're a sinner. Grieve and mourn over the fact that sin has a profound impact on you as a person and on your life. Grieve for what sin has destroyed and what sin has broken in this world and everything that now has to be confronted and struggled with because of it. Grieve for the fact that sin has broken fellowship with God, the creator, and grieve because you cannot fix your broken life. See, I think that's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. I don't think he's talking about the grief of a, lo a loss of a loved one or grief, the loss of moving away. I mean, many times that, uh, that brings grief and mourning. But what Jesus is talking about here is the fact that we are broken in our lives because of sin. And we need to grieve over the fact that we are broken because of sin. And that because of that sin, life will not be the way it was supposed to be, the way it was designed to be. And because of that sin, we will struggle. Because of the sin in our lives, lives are shattered. Families are broken. Marriages are destroyed. So much is in life we struggle with and we deal with and it, we have to fight and we have to sometimes just do our best to keep our heads above water because of sin. Because of what sin has brought upon our lives. In church, where you're supposed to be able to be safe, right? You're supposed to be able to come here and, and be safe. You're supposed to be able to come here and, and bear your heart to people. You're supposed to be able to come here and get involved. You're supposed to be able to come here and praise and worship. You're supposed to be able to come here and really lay yourself out before God. This is where we're supposed to be able to get recharged, right? This is the way where we're supposed to be able to come together with people that believe the same way we do. Maybe we didn't grow up the same way. Maybe we come from different backgrounds, even different faith backgrounds. But here is where we should be able to come together and help each other and grow in each other and just be thankful. I mean, one of, our, one of my favorite times, uh, and I, I love that we brought it back, is, that, is the handshaking, right? That's a good time. We, it, it's, uh, I remember we had to, when we had pews, it was much different, right? It was a lot, a lot more, a lot different back then. You're always banging your leg on the pew and everything. And uh, I love that time because most of us don't see each other throughout the week. And to be able to come back and just in that, you know, we've cut it down to three minutes because time consciousness is so important in this society. We used to have five minutes. And even at five minutes, it was like herding cats trying to get people back their seats, man. Because this is where you should, man, if you go out to work, you go out in, in, in the community, 
Maybe you don't feel like you fit in. Maybe you feel like you don't have any friends. Maybe you feel like you can't open up to people because they wouldn't understand. But here, right, here you should be able to do that. Yet so many of you have brokenness in your lives because of what has happened to you in church. And church has been complicit in the hurt and the pain that you experience and you feel. So when we look at it from that perspective where Jesus is saying, you need to grieve, you need to, be, you need to mourn the fact that sin is in this world. That sin has broken everything that was supposed to be between you and me. That sin affects your life in a powerful way every day. That sin wants to divide your home. That sin wants to keep you away from me. That sin, dur during a pandemic, sin wants to keep you away from going to church. And now churches are fighting each other over this kind of stuff. That's what he's talking about. I think if he just left it there and didn't say they will be comforted, it would be like the most miserable statement in the history of statements, right? But he didn't. He said, you're going to be happy because you mourn because I have comfort for you. I am the great healer. I'm the great fixer. I'm the great glue that'll bring your life back together. I can, I can make your life better than it was before. The great thing about a life following Jesus, how many of you have ever tried to put together a puzzle? If you have young children and you do puzzles, anybody do puzzles? And I'm not talking about the big ones that have like eight pieces and it's, oh, you're great, you put a puzzle together. I'm talking the 500 piece puzzle. All right, who's the one person that has lost their mind because they put a 500 piece puzzle together and they're missing one piece? And it came that way from the factory, right? Holy cow. Wusa, yes, right? Oh, it's so frustrating. Because you're, you, you've put all that time and effort. Remember when Aaron and I first got married, our dining room table, we didn't eat there. Well, that was, that was before children, we didn't eat there. We put puzzles together there. And oof, if, we didn't, if we were missing one piece or if one was knocked off and of course we had dogs at the time and a dog chewed up a puzzle piece, oh, oh, I hope the pound has a home that will take you, right? The great thing about Jesus, man, is you bring him your mess. You walk to him and you say, Jesus, here's, here's my mess. Here's my brokenness. Can you do something? He's, he doesn't drop the pieces. He doesn't lose the pieces. He can put your life back together fully and completely. Now, there's going to be scars. We all know that. You know, forgive and forget is probably the most ridiculous statement for a human being ever to make because you can forgive, but you'll never forget. You can move beyond, but you'll never forget because scars, as Toby Mac says, scars come from living. We always have, we're always going to have those scars, but we can move beyond and be healthier and be stronger because of things. That's what Jesus is saying. In order for you to get to a place in your life where I can use you fully, 
In order for you to get to a place in your life where you will be powerful, where you will be strong and whole and fully usable to me, you have got to be, un- you've got to understand and get to a place in your life where you accept the fact that you are broken. That brokenness, listen, some of you are broken and it's not your fault. You can't blame a three. I remember when we took the boys in, those of you who don't know, we were a family of adoption and we brought Gabriel and Michael into our home when they were two years and nine months old. They're twins. They're twins from the foster care system. Their twins were beaten and smacked around, and they were in, but when they came to us, they lived, they had, they, we were their sixth home, so they trusted nobody at the year, age of two years and nine months. And we would go someplace, and they would have a child care thing, and women would actually say to me, oh, they'd, they'd come and get me, you've got to take your kid out of here, this, that, and the other. I was like, I looked at one lady, I said, man, please don't blame my three-year-old son because you can't do your job. Seriously. Don't blame a child. You don't, you don't go, go around doing You don't blame children for not being able to do what you as an adult should be able to do. Jesus says, I want to be able to use you. I want to be able to fix you and put you back together so that you are fully functional for my kingdom. That's what I want. That's how we will be able to move forward. I love our pastoral staff and the conversations we have. And I love the fact that we don't always agree that we, we, we sharpen each other. That's what the iron sharpens iron, right? We sharpen each other. I love that. Because even at a leadership position, you can get better. I'm still broken in parts of my life. And there are still areas of my life that have to be healed. There are still areas of my life that Jesus is saying, John, if I can fix this part of you for you, if you'll let me, that I can do something more with you. But you're never going to get to that place until you realize and accept the fact that you're broken. It's not your fault. Not all of it. Some of it is. If you're a child and somebody, somebody did something wrong to you that's not supposed to happen to children, that's not your fault. But let me tell you, that's your consequence. Right? It's not your fault that somebody abused you. Somebody molested you. Somebody misused you and and did things that are unspeakable to to you as a child. That's not your fault that it happened. But folks, listen, you have to deal with that. You have to accept the fact that it happened and you can't change it. Jesus says, bring your brokenness to me and mourn the fact that you're broken. Mourn the fact that sin has done things to you and caused things to happen in your life that are not, are not, are not good, that are bad, that have consequences. And when you bring that brokenness to me and when you mourn over it, I promise you, I'll begin the healing process. That's what we're going to be talking about. To mourn for your sin and sinful condition has a profound effect on the life you live and the activities and goals that you pursue. Sometimes as human beings, and more particularly as Christians, we spend more time chasing our tails trying to fix our own problems and going round and round and round and round with the same issues 
because we can't solve them ourselves. And because of that, we're dysfunctional in our lives. We're dysfunctional in our relationships. We're dysfunctional in our service to God. And we're dysfunctional in our church. And if you get enough people that are dysfunctional in a church, guess what you're going to have? A dysfunctional church. And a dysfunctional church, we say, we say it all the time, function cannot come from dysfunction. Function cannot build dysfunction. If you have enough functional Christians working together and pursuing the, the purpose of Jesus Christ through a local church, and enough strong Christians who are working, to, working through their brokenness and are trying their best to be healthy and functional as followers of Christ, you'll have a functional church which can take in broken people and can help broken people overcome their brokenness, be mended, be healed, and get to a place where they are healthy and moving forward. Not fully whole. Listen, you're never going to be fully fixed here on earth because creation has not been restored yet. It's constantly a pursuit of Jesus Christ. It's constantly a pursuit of being better for him, of drawing closer to him. You never get to a place where you can say, I've arrived. It's constantly growing, constantly learning, constantly applying, constantly building. And in the process, you get to a point where you can look back and say, I don't even, re I don't even recognize the person I used to be because God has healed me and mended me and brought me to a place of functionality that I never dreamed I could get to. The word comfort that Jesus uses here is very interesting. It means to encourage, to strengthen, and to exhort and teach. So it's a progressive idea that he's sharing with us here. He says, if, if you will bring to me your mourning, if you'll accept the fact that you're broken and you'll bring that to me and you'll allow me to heal you, you'll allow me to begin that process of putting you back together, well, I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to strengthen you to the point where you can now teach and help others to be strengthened and encouraged. Man, it's that, it's, it's that circular living, right? We talk about that with giving, giving, living, giving in whatever area of life you give to the kingdom of God. If you give, encourage, what is the, the law of sowing and reaping, right? What you sow, that's what you're going to harvest. If you, har if you sow ugliness, guess what's coming back at you? Ugliness. If you sow peace and joy and love to others, the people are going to treat you kindly. I have that face that says, I'm angry, leave me alone all the time, right? That's just the look I have. Sorry. And Aaron was like, geez, John. when we first got married, she says, why are you always so angry? I said, what do you mean? She says, the look on your face, you're always so angry. So I'm not angry. I, I'm sorry, this is just the face God gave me. I don't know what to do with it, you know? So you have to combat that with being happy and, and joyful and let people know that you're not an axe murderer and you, you do have a, go, have a problem going back to prison because you were never there in the first place. So what you, what you give out to others as a follower of Christ is what you will re receive in return. <clears throat> and I think when he throws in the they will be comforted part, it's putting, it, it's putting the rest of 
the picture together because it's not just the mourning that matters. The mourning over your sin, the mourning over your brokenness, the realization that you are broken, that it has a profound impact on your life is the beginning. <laughs> That's the starting point. He says you'll be comforted. And what that means is you will be happy because you do something about your sin and your brokenness. Now there is healing for your brokenness. Before we get into, this is going to be a two-week message. Before, probably, before we get into how we can, how we can get over our brokenness, how he heals us. Understand, for those of you who are going through this right now, for those of you who are right in the middle of brokenness, for those of you who are, who are right in the middle of mourning and struggling and dealing with issues and, and you're struggling to, to overcome this and you're struggling to, to get a grip on where you are, understand this, there is healing for your brokenness and there are examples that we can pull out of the Bible. David mourned for his sin. Remember David, King David? committed adultery with Bathsheba. They had a child. That child died. Not only in order to cover up his sin, he had Uriah killed in battle. I mean, this is the man after God's own heart, folks. How, how deeply, how far had he fallen? Nathan the prophet came to him and told him a story about the rich man who had all the, the sheep and the poor man whose family had one lamb and it was like the family pet. And the rich man didn't want to uh, take from his stock, so he stole it from the poor man. David was irate. And he said, he'll restore the poor man. And Nathan looked at him and he said, you're the rich man, David. You stole another man's lamb. Man, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever been to a point where what you've done finally hits you or where you're at finally hits you. But man, that is a powerful blow to your life. When you finally realize, wow, wow, that was bad. I wish I could turn back time. I wish I could be uh, the early Superman, right? The first Superman, not the one on TV, but the first Superman movie where he, or maybe it was the second, I forget, but he flies around the earth to turn it backwards. Anybody see that? It's on the YouTube or the Netflix. <laughs> and he makes the world go backwards so he can turn back time. And that's sometimes how we feel when we come to a point of understanding what it is that we have done the damage that it has created. And out of that deep brokenness that some people could never accept and some people would become bitter and some people would even take their lives over, David wrote Psalm 51. And he said, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The Ethiopian eunuch, after accepting Jesus and being baptized, when he searched, realized there was a brokenness in his life, realized there was something in his life that he couldn't fix, and he met Philip out in the desert. After he accepted Christ and he was baptized, the Bible says the Ethiopian eunuch went away rejoicing. 
went away rejoicing, man. He was comforted. We're told by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. And again, David writes to us in Psalm 34, 18 about God when he says the Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. So let me say to you first, with all confidence, with every bit of confidence I can say as a pastor, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, let me say this to you. There is healing for your brokenness. There is a way that you can overcome the brokenness of sin in your life. There's a way that your life can be put back together, that you can be healed in your spirit, and that you can be used again. And there is a healer that wants to do that for you. And his name is Jesus Christ. You may be lost in your sin. You may have never accepted Christ as your Savior. He wants to let you know that there's a way out of your sin. And maybe you're a follower of Christ who has just gotten to a place in your, in your life where you are just miserable. And you know you've, you've almost given up. Or maybe you're at a place in your life where it's, you're at a crossroads, right? We're at a crossroads, and, and it's, do I, do I try to fix this? Do I get this fixed so I can move forward, or just do I just end it and go a different direction? Please, can I plead with you, before you make a decision against God, listen to what his word says to you. As a follower of Jesus, please listen to what his word says, that he can heal your brokenness. Someone who is searching for Jesus doesn't know him as, as Savior. Please listen to the words of Jesus when he says, I loved you enough to die for you and to pay the price for your sins and to fix your brokenness. And I can give you a new life. I can give you a new heart. In order to actually do something about our brokenness, we must understand why we are broken and what to do about it biblically. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this message, the first thing I believe we must understand and accept is what we've been talking about already. We are broken because of sin. We're broken because of sin. And man, that's where you lose so many people, even Christians today, because we're redefining what sin is. We're going back against the word and we're taking things and we're saying we're, we're trying to use the excuse that was used by those who don't trust the Bible and don't accept the Bible and have never accepted Christ as their Savior by saying, no, that only applied to 2,000 years ago in their culture. That only applied to 3,000 years ago in their culture. That's not what it means today. <sighs> okay, if that's how you're going to make yourself feel better about your sin, I say this to you. The Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible says that it can apply to every situation in life. The Bible is a Bible of principles, not rules and regulations. The Bible addresses your sin. The Bible addresses every moral part of our lives. The Bible is not a, a book for you to interpret your own way. The Bible is a book to be interpreted God's way and applied the way it needs to be applied in your life. So you can think whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. You can change it, but it doesn't mean you're right. <laughs> I 
We're broken because of our sin. And sin is anything we do that separates us from a just and holy God. Sin goes to lifestyle, okay? Sin goes to choices. Sin goes to actions. Sin goes to any time you go contrary to the teachings of the word of God as a follower of Christ. It's not fun to acknowledge. It's, it's never fun to acknowledge. And let me tell you what, what's even more, what, and I speak of this from experience when I was a younger guy, as I was growing, as I was learning, as I was trying to understand the working of God in my life. You ever get to the place where you're just tired of working? I'm not talking about having a job. I'm not talking about earning money. You're tired of working on yourself. My goodness. You know, the, you know the Christian response to that is? Well, that's the way God made me. So you're just going to have to deal with it. No, it's not. You're, you're, you've had one, you, you act like somebody who's had one too many bowls of loud mouth punch. And you're telling everybody else about their business. And Jesus says to speak, people, speak to people with tact. Let your speech be seasoned with salt that it may minister grace to the hearers. But you just think that God has given you the ability to discern everybody else's problems and it's your right to just tell them what's wrong with them. Well, that's just not true. Jesus wants to work on your spirit and he wants to work on your mouth. And he especially wants you to read the book of James that talks about the tongue saying that the tongue is an evil and it can set on fire everything. And it's the small, one of the smallest members in the body yet it can cause the biggest problems. You see, if you ever have to make an excuse to accept the way you are, that's a broken part of you that needs to be fixed. It's not fun to acknowledge. It's not fun to acknowledge that we are, now listen to this, that we are in a constant state of reconstruction. We are like New England roads in winter, right? That's us. It never fails to amaze me that the smooth road I drove over yesterday and then the road that was, that was snowed on and plowed the next day, the day after when I drive it, is like four-wheeling in the Gobi Desert. It's amazing. Anybody seen new potholes creeping up? It's like they have a life of their own. It's crazy. That's what we are as Christians. We are in a constant state of reconstruction. A constant state of needing to be repaired, of needing to be bettered, of needing to be rebuilt and recharged and renewed. Why? Because we need to constantly grow. Michael came out this morning with a pair of jeans and he said... Uh, Dad, can you help me with these? And he's, he's trying to button the jeans. And one, one part is over here, one part is over here. It's like, Michael, that's not going to work, man. I need a chain and a come along to bring that together. You're, you're, uh, you, that, that probably fits you when you were, you know, three years ago or something. I don't know, three months ago with him. We are constantly needing to be renewed and restored because we need to grow. 
the more we grow, the more productive we are. The more we grow, the healthier we are. Or the healthier we are, the more we grow. And the more we grow, the more mature we become as Christians, the more responsibility we can take on as followers of Christ, the more responsibility we can take on in the church, the more people God will lead to our lives that we can help. Can we be honest? Some of us, chronologically, in our, in our spiritual age, should be a whole lot more mature than we are right now. Let's just be honest. And the reason we're not to that point is because we have not acknowledged what we, we're going to get to this, I'm jumping way ahead. We have not acknowledged what the real problem is in our lives. We have met the enemy and it is us. Right? We are our own worst enemy. What does it mean to be broken? Brokenness in God's eyes is being so crushed by our sin and, dark, and the darkness of the world that we recognize there is no place to turn but to God. David put it this way in Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? Wow, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. Oh, that's so tough. It's so tough to humble ourselves in any area of life. How many times have you gone to bed angry in your marriage because you would not humble yourself and say, you know what, that was really stupid to argue over that, right? I know, well, I <laughs> wasn't looking over your comments, but that's... <laughs> Seriously, man, we get to those places in our lives. And that the, the inability to admit where we are, the inability to admit that what we do is sin, that what we're living in is sin, that what we don't want to give up for the kingdom of God is sin, keeps us from growing. And when you're stunted in your growth, you're stunted in your effectiveness and your fruitfulness for the kingdom of God. And that's just the way it is. It's understanding that we are not okay in our current state. We need to change. We can't make the changes that we need to make without help. Paul put it this way in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Understand that you're broken because of sin. We also must accept. Now, here's another big one. While our sin is forgiven, our brokenness persists. While our sin is forgiven, our brokenness persists. Even though, listen, and, and I mentioned it earlier, let me explain what I'm talking about. If you've, never accept, if you've never come to a place where you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, what I mean by that is this. Bible says that we are all sinners. Every one of us has sinned at some point in our life. <laughs> some of us on a daily basis. We have things that we do that cause us, that, that are sin, that is a violation of God's word that separates us from God. Because we were born into a sinful condition, 
I know, I know, I mean, you're judging me. No, I'm not. I mean, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Can we get beyond being so, so uh, afraid of criticism or so afraid of facts that we get offended by everything? My goodness. Listen, I'll, I'll talk about the elephant in the room, okay? I'm a Rams fan. There's a little game going on next Sunday called the Super Bowl. It's the Super Bowl now. Now, it doesn't come along very often for us Rams fans. Sometimes, for some people, it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience, okay? And now, I think, I think, the, I think it's awesome. I can't wait. I'm excited. I'm nervous as a fan. As a fan. Let's keep it in perspective. It's football, okay? But I'm excited about it. But you know what? The knuckleheads around the country, 66% of America wants to see the Bengals win the Super Bowl. Jeez. What have you people lost your minds? Yo, you're taking that special medicine from the street corner, aren't you? What are you thinking? The Bungles are Bengals? Seriously, man, any, fan, any, any team that has fans that wear paper bags over their head not to be a, so they cannot be identified, come on. See, I can be real upset about that as a fan, okay? We're keeping this perspective. As a fan, I can be offended because you don't like my team. Don't you? You hurt my feelings. Come on, please, please, please love me. Please love my Rams. I could be like that. You know what I say instead? <laughs> I don't care. You know, don't invite me to your Super Bowl party because I'll wreck it. You don't want me at your Super Bowl party, all right? I just put that out there. I, put the, I speak that into life. You do not want Pastor John. You don't want John Chase the fan at your Super Bowl party if the Rams are playing. I promise you. Promise you. Don't say, oh, it'll be okay. Listen, you put the valuables away. You take the pictures off the wall. You know what I'm talking about, Lewis? If the Broncos made it, we wouldn't invite you either. Oh. Right? <laughs> Unfortunately for Lewis, he gets invited to all the Super Bowl parties. <laughs> Listen, man, because, because you just don't want me. But Listen, if the Rams win, you'll know I was watching the game. I promise you. I promise you. You will hear it from 6 Garland Avenue. You will hear the fact that the, that the Rams won the Super Bowl. I promise you. From 317 Westwood Avenue, you'll hear... A, a scream of joy from our associate pastor Zach's house. Just the way it is. But you know what? We keep it in perspective. Does it really matter? <laughs> Does it really matter if you care whether or not the Rams or Bengals win the Super Bowl? Not at all. Not at all. And should it really matter to me whether you agree? Should I live my life and should I have, uh, should I wear my feelings on my sleeve because you don't like what I like and you don't agree with me and it hurts my feelings? No. I need to man up and accept the fact that everybody in life is different and people are going to see things in life differently than I see them. That comes to the church they want to go to. That comes to the style of music they want to listen to. Listen, bringing the two girls into our house now, you may have not have noticed, but we're not all the same skin color, okay? There's some differences there. And they were raised in a home that is not white. 
And there are some cultural differences in, in our home right now. And it's very, very difficult. I shouldn't say difficult. It's, ch- it's a challenge to, I'm 59. <laughs> I've been white all my life. And I've, I've lived this way all my life. So it's very, I'm, and I'm the oldest adult in my house. I'm the one that's supposed to be the voice of reason, right? So it's tough. But if I want my home to be a happy home, if I want my home to be a place of harmony and love, if I want my place to be a home where my kids don't want to escape from, they actually don't want to leave until I kick them out the door, then I need need to do my best to get beyond those things that simply annoy me, those things that get on my nerves, and try to find peace and harmony in those relationships. We need to get beyond the place and the point where we're offended by everything. Listen, I'm sorry, we'll bring it back. I'm sorry that it doesn't make you happy that the Bible says you're a sinner. I am so sorry that that offends you. And I'm not being smart. I'm not being a smart act. I truly am. Because I know it's, it's a tough pill to swallow. But the Bible says clearly that we're all sinners. Not that you're a mass murderer, but that you're a sinner. The Bible says because of your sin, you are separated from God. That separation is not separation here on earth. That is separation spiritually. And right now, if you've never accepted Christ, it is an eternal separation. The Bible also says this, what would pay for your sin is your death. If you die for your own sin, your sin would be paid for, but you would never be able to enjoy the freedom. So God came up with a plan. His son Jesus, the perfect spotless lamb, was the only sacrifice that could truly pay the price for our sins. So Jesus came down to earth. He was born to the Virgin Mary. He lived for 30 years. He ministered for three. And then he died on the cross. The Bible says he died on the cross to pay the price for the sins of all humanity. One sacrifice for sin forever. Forever. He did all the work. He carried the load. And what he's saying to you now is, I died for your sins. I died in your place. I paid the price for your sin. All you have to do is accept it. I am offering you what what the Bible terms the gift of eternal life. But it's just like Christmas. That, That gift is under the tree. It's got your name on it. It's not for anybody else. It's got your name on it. That gift was bought for you. That gift was paid for by you. That gift is intended for you. But that gift does not become yours until you receive it and take possession of it. You can think that I went to church all my life. I've been a good person. I've done more good than bad. That doesn't matter. The Bible says all your goodness is just filthy, dirty rags when it comes to the righteousness of God. Once again, not offending you, just saying how a holy God sees your efforts to be good. That gift is waiting for you, man. He says all you have to do is pray and receive it. Acknowledge your sin 
Acknowledge the fact that you understand you're separated from me. Acknowledge the fact that I died for you. And acknowledge the fact that you are receiving the gift of eternal life and asking me to come live in your heart. The Bible says at that moment, he comes into your heart. Your sins are washed away. Your sins are paid for. Your sins are completely covered. The Bible says you are given eternal life at that moment. Now it's time to live for him. So that's what we're talking about when we say, if you've never accepted Christ as your savior. Even when, and the Bible, listen, by the way, man, when you accept Jesus as your savior, you know what happens? The Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice that another sinner has found the savior. You know why the angels rejoice so much? <laughs> because they know who Jesus is. They've seen his glory. They've seen his majesty. They've seen his power. They've seen, the angels witnessed creation. Not only have they seen and witnessed all of what Jesus does and can do and who he is, they also witnessed humanity destroying that relationship. So, and then they witnessed the creator of all the universe giving himself to fix our mistake. So when someone accepts that offer of eternal life and acknowledges Jesus Christ as not just the creator, as not just God, but as the savior of their soul, that's when the angels rejoice, man. The angels think that's a pretty special thing because what Jesus did was not neglected by that individual. The rub to this comes in after you're saved because your spirit is restored, your spirit is renewed. The Bible says you become born again in your spirit and your spirit will live forever. But the human brokenness still persists. The brokenness in your life still persists. You still have to live in this body. You still have to live this life. You still have to live in this world amidst the brokenness. There are definite and lasting effects of the fall of humanity into sin that we all have to face and deal with. There are physical effects because of sin that we have to deal with. Death, decay, aging, those kind of things. Last week in the Sunday, you know, one of the Sunday school classes, they were talking about heaven and the kids had a lot of questions, a lot of cra not crazy questions, a lot of questions about what heaven is going to be like. And, uh, a couple of my, my, my two youngest boys came to me and said, Dad, here's a good, question, good, good kid question. Dad, will babies always be babies in heaven? Man, that's a good question. That's a good question. That, and of course, the next, it's followed up with, are there going to be animals in heaven? Am I have my dog in heaven? Are we going to eat in heaven? Decay and aging and the wearing out of our bodies physically, that's part of the fall. The Bible says when we get to heaven, there's no more night. There's no more sin. There's no more crying. There's no pain. There's no pain. There's no pain. <laughs> Those former things have passed away. The Bible says you'll be known as you are known. You'll have a glorified body, and I believe you're going to stay that way for all eternity. 
So there are physical effects. There are spiritual effects. We've talked about the separation from God. That was shown by Adam and Eve. Once they sinned, what did they do? They didn't go and say, hey, God, how you doing? Let's go for a walk. Let's go for our daily walk today. No, they hid from him. They hid from him. There are psych, uh, psychological effects. We feel shame and guilt and fear because of our sin. There are relational effects. Our relationships are struggles now. There's blaming. There's, there's difference, not just differences of opinion, but there's different choices and there are divergent paths that even in a marriage people want to take and they, won't, they, they end up ending the marriage because they don't want to work together to get things fixed. There are natural effects. The ground is cursed. The earth is decaying. Listen, this is a... This is dangerous ground I'm about to tread on, okay? I believe that the earth is decaying. I believe that the climate is changing. Oops. Why? Because it's happening, man. Look around. Now, why it's happening, I have a different take on that. I believe that the Bible says it's prophesied that the earth will get to this point and the earth will decay and and. and Crazy, crazy things will happen in the end times. That's prophecy. I don't really care how we got there. Whether if, if we were all vegan and cows didn't emit gas and we didn't have cars, you know what? The earth would still be decaying. So the reason that it's decaying is not important. The fact that it is is a sign of the end times. The Bible says these things are going to happen. There's going to be changes in the weather pattern. Craziness. And when it all starts happening together, like it is right now, the Bible says, when you see these signs at the same time, look up, your redemption draws near. So there are effects on, in nature. There are rational effects. There is distorted thinking, spiritual blindness, the ability to be led away from truth. And there are moral effects. Do we really need to go into the, the, the depravity of humanity? And where we have gotten to as a society. I'm going to quote, uh, end with this quote by Elizabeth Elliot for this part of the message for today. We want to avoid suffering, death, sin, ashes. But we live in a world crushed and broken and torn, a world God himself visited to redeem. We receive his poured out life and being allowed the high privilege of suffering with him may then pour ourselves out for others. Your brokenness has a purpose. God has a plan for you. Your brokenness can lead to your transformation. Giving your brokenness to Jesus will lead you to healing and a life of purpose and a life of productivity and a life of fruitful effectiveness for the kingdom of God. Folks, we are in the time right now where we need people, we need Christians to understand it's time for your healing. It's time to put aside the pettiness of being offended by everything in this world and admitting that you have a problem you can't fix with God and that he wants to fix it. He you know what? What's, what's very cool is in this auditorium, 
may very well be the person that God has intended for you in your life to help you begin the healing process. You just have to get to the point where you admit that you need help. Let's bow our heads in prayer, shall we? Just before we go to prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed, we talked about salvation. And uh, I know those, those of you watching on Facebook, uh, you can raise your hand on, in, the, in the comments there. I wonder if you would say this morning, you know, Pastor John, I never knew I had a problem and I never knew anything about this until you talked about it. But I'm that person. I've never accepted Jesus as my Savior. And before I can ever be productive, I have to have that initial brokenness healed. I wonder if you'd raise your hand honestly and say, Pastor John, I've never accepted Jesus as my Savior. Those of you online, you can put, like I said, you can put that in the comments. All right? Here, we're all, thank you for your honesty. I appreciate that hand. I would love to talk with you about that. Listen, Christian, I wonder if you'd say, you know, Pastor, it, it doesn't matter the degree. Can we get away from how bad you are or how good you are or how bad you don't think you are? Let's get away from that because brokenness is brokenness, folks. You throw a, you, you throw a cup away for a crack or whether it's shattered, right? So let's get away from degrees. You just say, Pastor John, please, would you pray for me? Because I know I'm broken and I really do want to start the... I really do want to start the healing process. Would you pray for me? I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to put you on a board. I'm not going to send out a prayer request for you. I just want to pray for you. Am I going to raise your hand? Say, Pastor John, I am broken in some area of life, and I need to start healing. Anybody? Thank you. Thank you for those hands. I really appreciate that. Thank you for, for trusting me with that. I really appreciate that. And I promise I'll pray for you throughout this week. Father, thank you for the privilege of being here today. Thank you for the privilege of being in your house, being in your presence. God, thank you for those who came out today to be here in person. And thank you for those who joined us online. Lord, it truly has been good to be in your house today. Father, I, I'm so thankful that we have New Life Church where we can come to and we can, Lord, just rejoice with each other and love on each other and and uh, just be in the presence of other believers, especially in times like we're living in right now. Father, I thank you for those who chose to, to, uh, to come to new life today and give us a try. Father, I pray that you'll lead them where you want them to be. If it's here, God, give them a peace. If it's somewhere else, may we, may we stay friends no matter what. Father, pray for those hands that were raised. You know the needs. God, I pray your power and your healing and your compassion on each and every heart. Lord, I pray for us as we go from this place today. Father, this is where it's easy. This is where we, we can lay aside the facade, we can lay everything down, and we can come here and we can be your children. We can be the church here. Father, out there, it's real tough. You know that, Lord, because you lived among us you experienced the anger and hatred and the ugliness of humanity. So God, I pray that you'll give us your power, your anointing for this week. We don't know what's ahead. 
We don't know who we're going to meet. We don't know what situations are going to arise. We don't know what sickness is going to befall. We don't know what, what tragedy or success there's going to be. But we do know that you said you're going to be with us every step of the way. Father, I pray that you'll give us your peace. You'll give us your wisdom. And that we'll go out as worshipers, worshipers who are wise as serpents and as harmless as doves.